You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Morning, everybody. Welcome to our online experience here at Westside Church. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm the Generations Pastor here and um, excited to speak to you from the sermon subject, No Greater Love. So I'm going to have you turn to John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to go through what is a pretty familiar Bible story to illustrate a point that I believe that Jesus is showing us about conversations. Um, but as you turn there, I want to hopefully offer some encouragement. Uh, we continue to walk through what is got to be the, the, the strangest, it's not got to be, it is the strangest time, uh, strangest year that I have ever walked through in my entire life. Uh, I've even just been recounting some of the things that I've been saying to my children over the course of the last few months since March. Uh, things like, no, you can't go back to school. Um, I don't know exactly why or when we can go back. Uh, things like, no, you can look at your friends, but you can't touch your friends. Um, and actually, you have to remain a certain amount of distance. You can come into the store with me, um, but you must wear your Spider-Man mask all the way over your head. Um, and then even just this last week, my family and I were part of the evacuations in Northeast Bend. Um, and I found myself saying things like, no, we can't go home. There's someone guarding the driveway. Uh, I can't imagine the, the kind of things that my kids are thinking right now and maybe the, the kind of treatment that they're going to need after to deal with some of the things that their parents have said to them uh, in the middle of 2020, which has led me to believe many times uh, or to wonder and ask many times, Jesus, can you please just give us, can you give us a new thing? Can you give us a new thing? Now, I, I've said that a lot in the course of my life. It's actually one of those things that a lot of Christians, if you've been in the church for a while, you probably found yourself saying, and maybe sometimes you haven't even known what you're saying. Lord, give us the new thing. Give us the fresh touch. Give us the new anointing. And really what I mean is, Lord, get me out of my inconvenience right now and into something more convenient. A lot of times, I'll call out the pastors in the room right now. I'm sure you have lots of pastors in the room. A lot of times what we mean by a new thing is, Lord, give us larger crowds and a fresh energy inside the revival movement that we have. Um, and I believe that God is giving us a new thing right now. I believe that he's giving us a dynamic, necessary new thing. And that new thing isn't COVID. And God isn't giving us unrest, but I really believe that he is giving us a new perspective as the church in the middle of all of these things. When I moved to Bend, um, my parents came up and hung out with us, and we went to an, an arcade. Uh, and it was, I walked in, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the same carpet from the arcades when I was a kid. Uh, the arcade was at a movie theater in Grants Pass, Oregon, where I grew up. And, and I, that was like the dream place to go. I wanted to go watch movies, and I wanted to play Street Fighter and NBA Jam on the stand-up arcade games. And so I went to this arcade being like, yes, this is going to be some sweet nostalgia. My son's going to come with me. I'm going to show him around. And I walked in, and nothing had changed from that era. I think the same root beer was in the same spot in Bend, Oregon than it was in Grants Pass, Oregon. And I was with my dad, and I remember looking at my dad saying, wow, uh, gosh, this, these places really kind of went, you know, downhill. And my dad said, I hate to break it to you, son. They've always looked this way. That's the same smell because it's the same amount of filth. It's the same condition. Uh, there was nothing super romantic about the, the situation that you were in in the arcade at the movie Six in Grants Pass. It was just that now you stand a little, bit of a little bit taller off the ground so that you can actually see the environment that you exist in. I really believe that the current age that we live in 
is not just, wow, look at all these things that are brand new. Look at some of this unrest and these discussions that we're having that are brand new that we've never had before that are all of a sudden jarring us out of maybe what was a more comfortable situation into more of an uncomfortable situation. I really believe that through this process, God is allowing us to stand a little bit taller off the ground so that we can see the situation that has always been here. And I have to tell you, it's going to continue to be uncomfortable. It's going to continue to be difficult, but it's going to continue to be absolutely necessary if the church is to be and to become everything that God is creating us to be. We have to have a proper perspective of the world around us if we're to treat the ills of the world around us. Not that we're going to come in and be some kind of savior, but we know the one who is. And it's going to be extremely helpful if we embrace a new perspective and often new conversations about people and groups of people that we've never considered before in order to do the work of Jesus as he's calling us to do it. So that's all kind of a long-winded intro to talk about the power of conversations. We just spent a lot of time in a sermon series talking about miracles and the power of Jesus and how he came through in all these different and, and dynamic ways. And we should seek after miracles, and I believe that God is going to show us miracles. But as Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. As Paul is building and speaking to this church in Colossae, a place that is undergoing at the time of this letter considerable economic unrest, many of the major highways have been rerouted outside of Colossae and into Laodicea, and so their future is unknown in really practical ways. And Paul takes time in his letter to say, let me talk about how you talk to people. And if it's so important to the Apostle Paul at the time he's building his church, maybe in the time when we are building this church, we should stop and consider our own conversations as well. So we enter into the area of John chapter 3. Now by this time in the life of Jesus, people around him know that he is not Judaism 2.0. That he is not a new and improved. He is not a plug and play. He's not just uh, this cool rabbi that's teaching things with a little bit of a different spin on him. Instead, he's bringing a new covenant, a new command, and a new movement into a place that is relying on all of the old things and the old ways of doing things. Now, there's a specific group of people called the Pharisees, or if you want to even go higher than that, you could talk about someone like Nicodemus, who it says in John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus was even more than just a Pharisee, quote unquote, but he was actually part of an organization called the Sanhedrin, which made a lot of the decisions in the Jewish culture at the time. It was kind of like a, a parliament and a senate all rolled into one. So this guy Nicodemus is a really important, thoughtful, big-time religious leader in the movement that's going on at the time. So someone coming in with a new covenant and a new command and a new movement has the potential to wreck Nicodemus' way of life. Now it gets so hardcore for the Sanhedrin and for the Pharisees that as we see it's illustrated in John chapter 11, you can follow along with me right here on your screen. It says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus where they saw this happen. This is after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Now check this out. Listen to this really carefully. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. 
This is a group of people, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, that have everything to lose. Now, maybe you've had some ignorance like me. And a lot of times when I've read through the New Testament, I've thought, man, it's kind of insane that the Pharisees would be so offended by everything that Jesus does. He shows up and he feeds hungry people and he heals the sick, uh, the, the lame walk and the blind see. Jesus comes in. He seems to be a pretty decent guy. Every once in a while, he eats wheat on the weekends. But come on, who hasn't eaten some wheat on the weekends like you and me every once in a while? And he seems to be on the surface, especially knowing the end of the story and knowing who we worship, uh, a lot of times a pretty harmless person, but he is a threat to people that have a say and have a hold in the hierarchy of Judaism at the time. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, I had a really close friend uh, and we were, we were the best athletes on the play playground without question. Uh, my stats were off the chart in both football, dodgeball and kickball. And I remember this new kid, his name was Eric. His new kid, Eric, showed up, and Eric was a little bit taller than me, and Eric could throw the dodgeball a little bit harder than me, and Eric was, I hate to say it, as good of an athlete as me, and, and maybe better. Actually, Eric went on to pitch in the Dodgers organization, and I went to Oregon Tech, but <laughs> nobody's counting, and and, but at the time, I remember he was coming in, and I, I remember my friend actually liked this other guy a lot, and, and there was this idea that we would be, we would all be friends, but I didn't see it that way. Eric was a threat to how I fit in to first grade society, you know what I'm saying? And so what I would do is I would take every opportunity to mock Eric as much as I could. I would try to beat him on the court as much as I could. I would try to get him in trouble as much as I could. I was trying to show my friends and everybody else that we didn't need this new fool, Eric, that you've got the original article and that is Ben and that's what you need and you should want. And Eric was superior and I had no interest in seeing it because it would displace me from where I stood in my class. Now that's a silly way of showing us that whenever we feel threatened, that whenever our way of thinking, that whenever our old ideas feel threatened, especially whenever our money or our place in the hierarchy feels threatened, we want to eliminate the rest of the conversation as much as possible. We still do this today. But Jesus in all of his glory and his wisdom wants to bring a new thing into the conversation, and so he does. But watch how both Nicodemus and Jesus handle themselves in the middle of this conversation. This is really cool. This is not just about how Jesus handles himself, but also Nicodemus, who's probably in his mid-60s at the time, who is being threatened with his livelihood because of the, dy the, the dynamic ministry of Jesus. He says, it says this in John 3, verse 2. He says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. The first thing that we need to do if our conversations are to be seasoned with salt, full of grace, so that we might have an answer for everyone, is acknowledge another's experience. Nicodemus, who is probably on the defensive at this time, acknowledges the great things that Jesus has done. You'd be surprised at how well a conversation that you're worried about will go well at the beginning because you acknowledge the experience that the other person has lived. And it goes on in John chapter three, verse three, John, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. 
how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. What Jesus is talking about in here is he's saying, look, Jews give birth to Jews and Samaritans give birth to Samaritans. And you guys are interested in this hierarchy and this way of thinking. But now that I come in, there's a new life that can exist in humanity. It says in verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going so that you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. The second thing that we need to do in our conversation so that there might be seasoned with salt to have an answer for everyone, be a witness for Jesus, is speak the truth. Now, I want you to be careful with this one. Speaking the truth can become something other than what Jesus had intended. Now, we always have to remember, every single conversation that you go into, especially one that might be contentious or difficult, remember that Jesus is full of grace and truth, as John says earlier in this gospel, which doesn't mean grace and then truth, or here we go, this is my favorite one, especially in conversations with my wife when we're having a tough time. Truth, and then if she's nice to me, a little bit of grace. But instead, it actually says that Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. And every moment, he is full of both of those things. And so when we go to speak the truth in our conversations, when we go to speak the truth, which of course is Jesus Christ and him crucified is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the grace and the truth that comes out from that, we must remember that God is not calling us to be, I'm the tell the truth guy. Have you ever met tell the truth guy? Have you ever been tell the truth guy? who just comes in like a bull in a china shop and just says, look, I'm just the truth teller in the group. Nobody else will say the things that I want to say, which is code for, I just kind of want to say whatever I want to say, and I don't really care how I say it or who I step on along the process. I don't really care about the people in the room. I only care about the words that come from my mouth. God is calling us to something greater and higher than that if our conversations are to be a tool that we can use for the power of God to reach the world around us with his grace and his goodness. I'm not interested and God is not interested in you coming in and trying to just wreck people with the truth. Instead, the truth that Jesus brings involved a sacrificial love that was evidenced in him on the cross. And so only speak the truth, only speak the truth if it's also seasoned with grace and it possesses the desire to be sacrificial for the other people in the room. That's the overarching, the overall love that Jesus brought into the situation because he didn't just come and die for those who were broken and who were hurting. He didn't just come and die for the poor. He came and died for the people that were at the top of this Pharisee hierarchy. He came to die for the people that had it all together or thought they had it all together. He didn't just come in and speak the truth to wreck people. Instead, he came to speak the truth so that he could sacrifice for them. And he could bring grace into their lives. So those are the first two things. Acknowledge and others experience, speak the truth, but understand that there's 100% grace and 100% truth. And now we get to the big moment, right? It says in, uh, or we're almost to the big moment. I got a little too far ahead of my notes. John 3, verse 9. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't know these things. I assure you, that we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly, possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven 
and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The third thing that we have to do in our conversations to make them effective for the way of Jesus is to relate to other people. And Jesus does that a few ways in this section of scripture. He talks about Moses, someone that Nicodemus is extremely familiar with. And then he uses the term son of man. And son of man, Nicodemus knows his code for the Messiah. And he begins to address some of those things because Nicodemus is wondering right now, maybe he's been sent by some family or other members of the Sanhedrin. He's wondering if Jesus is the Messiah himself. And Jesus begins to speak this truth in a relatable way so that he can understand and he can palate it a little bit more. He can consider it a little bit more and he can weigh these things a little bit more even though it's difficult because Jesus starts talking about the son of man in reference to himself and the Messiah, starts talking about Moses and Nicodemus is tracking. And then he says, the son of man must be lifted up like a snake on the bronze pole back in Moses' day. And Nicodemus is like, what? No, 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 no. If you're going to come in and you're going to bring a new covenant and a new movement and a new message, then you're not going to be that guy. You need to come in and a little bit like Superman, I need you to go into one of these houses over here and I need you to take off your robe and I need you to put on the big super M, the super Messiah outfit that I know that you've been packing around with your Tevas. You know what I'm saying? I need you. I need you to go in and do that. But you're talking about something in reference to a snake on a pole to be lifted up. The Messiah is going to get lifted up on a pole, almost sounds like a crucifixion. It sounds like shame. It sounds like a sacrifice that our Messiah was never intended to make. Now, the craziest thing in the middle of all that we're walking through and we're talking through right now is the reminder that the kingdom of God was ushered in by the most incredible, bloody sacrifice that was Jesus. And you know what Jesus called that? He called it victory. I wonder if victory in the middle of this time and this era will look a lot more like sacrifice for us as the church as opposed to what a victory would look like for other people in our context. And Jesus finishes up the conversation this way in John three sixteen. This is the big moment. But this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for believing in God's one and only son and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear for it for fear their sins will be exposed, but those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see what they're, that they are doing what God wants. And bam, the conversation, or at least our transcript of the conversation is over. And so what happens at the end of this? Uh, if it was in the church situation that I've grown up in and that currently exists in, what happens after God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, that if we believe in him, we will not find judgment. What happens right now in this moment, and we're gonna do this, just kidding, we're not gonna do this. What happens right now is we have the altar call and Nicodemus is supposed to be crying and he's supposed to come and he's supposed to kneel right up here in front. 
Now, I've seen a lot of incredible things at altar calls. I've, I've been prophesied over, and I'm not mocking this process, but I am saying that a lot of times we rely a little too much on it. Because what happens is not that Nicodemus is weeping at his feet. There's not some huge embrace. Nicodemus doesn't pray the sinner's prayer in this moment. Instead, the conversation is just over. And then the next time we probably see Nicodemus, even though he's not named, is that discussion that the Sanhedrin is having in John chapter 11 about how they need to eliminate the threat of Jesus. But then we see Nicodemus one more time. Check this out. This is really cool. I hope this brings some relief to your life. After Jesus is crucified and then there comes a time to bury him, it says afterward in John chapter 3, verse 38, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus's body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from the myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Give you a little reminder where everyone else is at. There might be a, a disciple or two there at the crucifixion with Jesus who's now gone home. Peter is off running around making sure that the whole world knows that he never followed Jesus in the first place. And then, then all the other people, whether they, were, whether they were a part of the original 12 or not, are hiding out for fear of the government. And now here is a disciple that didn't walk around with Jesus, didn't lay his head near him at night, was a witness, I'm sure, to many of his miracles and the signs and wonders, but his only primary interaction was simply a conversation with Jesus. And he is with him at the end of it all. And not only that, he's even showing even more that he is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, not just by his presence, but in modern day money, he's actually throwing in $150,000 of his own to prepare Jesus for burial. I wonder what would happen if we reconsidered the value of our conversations. Because I do, as a preacher, the, the conversation angle doesn't play that well, to be honest with you. The miracles do. The big dynamic things, the, 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 the helping the demon-possessed people, the exorcism of the demons, the, these are really incredible, man, massive, dynamic stories. In this story, all we have is John 3.16, which most of us don't even remember is connected to simply a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. But Jesus, in this moment, doesn't create a convert Nicodemus continues to be a part of the Sanhedrin, the group of people that is adamantly trying to eliminate him from the world. But Jesus understands the power of this conversation when he's full of truth and when he's full of grace, when he's intentional and he's loving and caring about a man who is part of an organization that hates him. He speaks to him in such a fashion that creates a fully devoted follower that will be, be there with him when almost no one else is. 
I wonder if we took our minds off of a little bit of the typical way of, of how we go about doing church and how we go about seeing people saved and how we go about walking around in our daily Christian lives fighting for things that maybe Jesus wasn't interested in fighting for. And instead, we turned our attention to the importance of the seasoning of our conversation, understanding that not every conversation in the Lowe's parking lot or at Fred Meyer will lead to someone weeping on the floor giving their life to Jesus, but instead it can install grace and truth in such a way that they won't be able to deny at maybe what is their darkest hour, most difficult point that God is real and that he loves us so much that he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He died on a cross for our sin. Let's pray together. Father God, may our conversations be of you. And to be direct about it, Lord, may our conversations on social media, may our conversations over messaging, may our conversations right now over FaceTime and over Zoom, may our conversations in the parking lot, may our letters, Jesus, whatever we might have, may our conversations, may we understand the power that can exist inside of them if we allow you to take over. So Lord, teach us to speak with grace and truth as we embrace a new perspective on our life, as we understand the world around us differently in a truly unbelievable way in this year that is 2020, I pray that we would constantly be drawn back to the grace and truth, the example that you have provided us. There's power in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we love you guys so much. Thanks again for joining us. We're going to go ahead and put some, some questions up here on the screen that you can follow or not follow based on how your, your group is feeling right now, your home church is feeling. Again, we're so grateful for home churches. Thank you so much. And for those of you uh, who are watching this on your own individually, feel free to run through the questions as well, and you can have an internal dialogue. Just make sure that conversation is also uh, seasoned with salt, grace, and truth. All right, we love you so much. We'll see you next time. You're now free to roam about the cabin.